Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Welcome to another episode of Civic Tech Chat. Believe it or not, but this now marks our 12th full-length episode. When I started this project, I wasn't sure we'd make it this far, but I'm glad we've been able to go on this journey together. So thank you for continuing to tune in. If you've enjoyed the content so far, please go ahead and go over to the iTunes slash Apple podcast store and leave us a five-star review. Doing so increases our reach and helps us produce more high-quality content. Speaking of which, this week we're joined by Open Savannah for a panel discussion about how their brigade started, how they go about community organizing, and a little bit about their overall organizational philosophy. This conversation is quite a treat. Now, I do need to point out a little bit of a disclaimer. Some of the audio quality we had to work with in, a pa- in this panel discussion uh, required a little bit of finessing, so there might be some points where it gets a little quiet. So I hope you can uh, put up with that a little bit and enjoy the conversation. So with that, let's go ahead and hop right in. So to get us started, let's go ahead and have each of our panelists introduce themselves a bit. So could each of you introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about what you do with Open Savannah? Hi, Ryan. Um, I'm Carl. Uh, I, uh, so I guess I sort of, you could say I started this um, whole Open Savannah thing about 15 months ago um, after I moved back to Savannah. Um, and I really wanted to do it because I felt like there was a huge gap in civic trust here and that there's things that we could do about it tactically to fix that. So, um, yeah, that's me. Hey, Ryan, I'm Nick Palumbo. I'm the Neighborhood Association Outreach Lead for Open Savannah, and I'm the connecting force between the rich and vibrant neighborhoods of Savannah that exist here uh, and the organization itself. So Savannah has a culture of neighborhood associations that are all volunteer or nonprofit organizations, uh, and there are over 100 identified neighborhoods in Savannah, Georgia itself. So my job is to try to connect this organization with all of them and inform them about what we're doing. Hey Nick, I'm Aaron, the community lead with Open Savannah. Um, I actually was at Carl's initial sort of kickoff presentation for what Open Savannah was, and it really sort of resonated with me being able to apply technology skills and design skills to civic problems. Uh, So I immediately volunteered and sort of worked with them a little bit on the initial documentation and sort of do community onboarding stuff. Um, kind of just fit in wherever we have holes for the most part as far as like running, running our, uh, our events and whatnot. So continuing on the theme of getting to know each of you individually a little bit, one of the things we ask about in this podcast a lot revolves around personal why. So can we go around the table here and go into what each of your personal why is uh, for, for example, like why you get up in the morning and do the work you do? Well, I get up and, well, this is Carl, by the way. Um, I get up every morning and do the work that I do chiefly because I think that informed and engaged public is vital for democracy to function. And that's been really the, the guiding principle behind my entire career, really. Um, previously, I was a journalist. Um, I was actually a data journalist. And um, actually, my first job out of grad school was actually here in Savannah. I was um, the dat- uh, digital editor at the Savannah Morning News, which is the daily newspaper. And 
I kept coming up against these walls when I would request data from public agencies. And um, that's one of the things that gave me the idea to start this whole Instagram thing because um, when I came back, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, there's gotta be something we can do to make this data that should be public be actually public. Um, because I think that knowledge is power and that, um, that sounds cliche, but um, I think that's very true. And that there's a dearth of knowledge um, when it comes to civic issues here. Hey Ryan, it's Nick. Um, I think I do it because my entire life, if there was one theme to pick, it would be that I believe there's a duty for each person to contribute to their country, to their community, to their neighborhood. In some ways, small, um, and then in large ways, if you have the opportunity to do so. And I got involved in this organization because I'm a firm believer that you know corruption hides behind data. When government's locking it away, it's not for a good reason. Um, and this is an organization that's dedicated to the truth. And the more that we can get this information out into the open, the better that our government can perform its capacity for the people. Uh, Aaron, community lead. So I really love both your answers. <laughs> I, wish I had something so profound to say. Um, you know, largely as, as a designer and a developer, <clears throat> you know, there's, I have responsibility for what I put out there in the world. And that accountability, yeah, I want to, through that accountability, I wanted to leave the world a better place than I found it. And I think that work that I've done in service design, you know, there's a lot of practices that we do in service design and development design as a whole that really are applicable to the challenges in government. Um, the way they're operating, you know, the way they're interacting, you know, how they're procuring things, technology that they're producing, and whether or not they're taking a user-centered approach or not. Anyway, a lot of those skills and sort of philosophies, I think, apply to improving that. My experience in Savannah really has been, um, has always kind of been at arm's length, like they, I feel like, as though they keep the residents at arm's length. And, you know, I, I guess I just want to apply my skills to sort of helping them understand what a more positive relationship with their residents can be mm -hmm. and how to sort of facilitate that. I think both to sort of reach solutions that are equitable um, and I can just provide a better service too. So because I can, I want to, I guess. I, I really enjoyed each of your answers there. And now if you'll allow me to plagiarize a question from one of my earlier episodes, uh, in particular, the Voices of Summit episode, there was a question there that I asked everybody that seems simple at first, but gets really varied answers. And that is the question, what does civic tech mean to you? So could I get that answer from each of you here on the panel? <laughs> so civic tech to me, um, it's actually, I don't think it's the best term, but it's the best term that we have. But it's applying the principles of modern technology and the way that modern software is built and service design to the machinery of government. And not only to make it more efficient, but to make it more equitable and to reduce silos and to give more um, voice to those who are voiceless. Ooh, so it's, it's, the yeah. civic, it's the civic part that is more important. The tech is like, it can be misleading at times. I think that we need to think of a better term for it, but I can't really think of one, so. Build on that. I think, I mean, civic tech means so many different things. Um, just one facet of it for me, you know, I, I spent five years working in the federal government and uh, 
we had a computer back then that was called, it was Wang Computers. I mean, that's how ancient it was. Um, part of Civic Tech and part of our organization is somehow, uh, it's, it's fallen to us, the, um, the volunteers, to try to lead the government through the process of technology, um, getting over some of that fear that is inherent seemingly in government about technology itself, getting them to adopt it, and showing them that there is a better way through outreach and technology, you can and will reach more people if you embrace it. I like to think of civic tech, I think, as a, more of a philosophy, like engaging the sort of new and emergent sort of disciplines, especially around design and technology, as a new capacity to change or apply to government. Um, and even to get it to sort of reorientate to like what, how society is, and change, is changing in relation to technology. Um, I think it, it does definitely describe an applicable sort of um, resource and application relationship like Carl explained and I think too it, it definitely connects to the uh, kind of the ethos that you're talking about Nick um, but I think as like yeah I think in relation to those two things like the philosophy of we, we have new capacities coming coming to bear or sort of what I think coming to an apex, maybe like technology and all these designers and stuff, um, in relation to aging the internet, the way we communicate, the way we see things. What's the expectation um, of government? Yeah, well, it, it, and then we see this large institution. Where does it exist? Like, how is it related? Is it, is it connecting with us in the right ways? Are there new opportunities? And we see that and want to bring that to bear. And I think there's a symptom there too where the, the public is outpacing its own government in technology and speed and in its demand of the things that they want. And it's led to a great deal of friction. Um, so sometimes it's and like I, it's seeing that in the, like as an opportunity. It's like mm -hmm. if you want to volunteer, if you have that sort of civic ethos, you know, you want to you want to volunteer and you should and you want to make things better. Like there's new opportunities. It's not just about you know being a politician. You know, mm -hmm. and I say that in a very sort of almost naive, generalized way. Like, what does a politician do? But like there's just, there's skill sets along that like I have many assumptions that, that suit government, but now thinking about well how design work, design working here how does co-creation work here like how do I facilitate these practices to improve not only interactions between uh, government units and offices but with the constituents or mm -hmm. people they need to serve um, and there's a lot of opportunity in that so it's kind of interesting to see it. So I have a quick confession I'll be real quick. I used to be a, a what you would call a techno op. op Optimist. Um, I thought that technology would empower everyone's voice to be heard louder. You know, we would have this more perfect democracy simply by virtue of having mm. more technology. The technology would save government. But as we've seen um, in recent years, maybe it's the other way around, actually. Maybe it's that instead of technology saving government, maybe it's, it's like the values of public service and democracy inherent to our government saving technology yeah i mean well anything new like we're going to make mistakes with and i think that's something else is that these new things or science to some degree as technology goes begins to sort of uncover kinks in our in our social order and our social interaction or even our institutional sort of order operation and interaction and how we relate to like these sort of new discoveries what does it mean sort of morally ethically uh, sorry, that sounded a big thing, but anyway, like how it, how it does sort of uncover new dilemmas, like within our mm -hmm. our space or just being. But um, 
I'm trying to build up. This, no, no, it, this it, notion, it like, can replicate existing. Like who's helping who? Yeah. But it, it does bring around that. Absolutely. And I, I can tell from this first exchange that as we get a little bit deeper in the weeds as far as like organizational philosophy uh, for you folks, that we're going to be in for a really interesting conversation. And kind of leaping us in that direction, I'd like to first talk a bit about uh, Open Savannah in general, as well as kind of its how it started. Uh, so Carl, could you start us off on that by maybe telling us a bit about the story of how the organization began? So I was, um, it was a Friday night. I had no um, social life. I was on meetup.com and I was just, I had, you know, it, it keeps me up sometimes. It's just like thinking about what the future of democracy will be. Because having previously worked in publishing newspapers, I worry about what's going to happen when we really do lose it, those newspapers quickly losing that capacity. Um, but I worry about what, what's going to happen when we don't have a necessarily transparent society. Um, and I was up one night late and I started a meetup group. I called it Open Data Savannah. I thought it would be something I just started and never followed up on, and I just like, kind of did, and just like didn't do anything else with. I woke up the next morning, and I think 20, about 20 people had expressed interest. So then I was like, well, shucks. I guess I've got myself into something now. <laughs> um, three or four weeks, I think three and a half weeks later, we had, we had our first kickoff meeting. And I believe we had about 50 or 60 people there, I guess. And then Nick was there. I think he was there, actually. So, um, yeah, there was clearly a need and demand here for some sort of um, uh, intermediary. And I got involved because uh, I'm civically active, but um, I got tired of being the youngest person in the room all the time. Uh, when I came to this first week, I, I really, I can't tell you how exciting it was to see other people my age or maybe even younger than me. And, you know, I was like, wow, I'm not the youngest person in the room anymore, you know, but there were other, uh, there was a certain sense of camaraderie. There were other people out there that were interested in tackling this problem. Uh, and they had skill sets that I could only dream of. Um, I'm not a coder, I am not, I, that, I just wasn't born with it, uh, but I do have a deep sense and appreciation for the people that do. And we have the ability now, more than ever, to do really compelling things in our government and in that work that we could just never have thought of being possible before. And I, I look forward to that potential. It takes your skill sets too. It's not just well, about yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I still don't think I'll, I'll For sure, and, and uh, I guess kind of related to that that beginning story, I, I noticed in a, a blog post that they fixed that kind of provided for me to get me up to speed that one of the things that is mentioned in there is the observation that Savannah is perhaps not the prototypical location for the sort of uh, thing to to occur to be founded in. Uh, could one of you expand upon that a bit and maybe talk about your thoughts on why it's managed to work out despite those things? I don't know. Well, from my, my perspective, I mean, Savannah, like the way they operate, it's not very open, right? I mean, like they they, they don't seem to really listen to residents. It's, it's the oldest city in Georgia. As a, One of the oldest cities in the country. I mean, as an organization that sort of says, like, open, this open Savannah, about open, creating transparency, creating connections with residents. Um, it's interesting that our, our mission and the aim sort of in that direction has connected and resonated really well to the city. Because I think they recognize an internal need to connect with residents more, um, and they have engaged us on a number of fronts: uh, participatory budgeting projects, transportation projects, 
I'm jumping the gun with participant for everybody. It's something in the works right now. <laughs> and it turns out to be more, I think, with residents. Yeah. And, and it's certainly residents, but like it was, I've been very impressed with our work over the last year about how much time we've not only had with the mayor, the city council, our city manager, and other sort of, and other departments budgeting um, information officers. So um, I think I can't really answer the, like why is Savannah like the prototypical, like why it's sort of not the place you would expect this to happen. But I think that experience it not it being relatively okay. Savannah doesn't have a major research university. It doesn't really have um, a huge creative class, I guess you would say. Um, it's a very old city. People are very stuck in their ways a lot of times, especially in government. I think it does have a large, sorry, a, large, a, a fair amount of creative class. It's just transient in the sense that there's an art and design school here. The kids come. I don't think they see a lot of opportunity and stay. Yeah. But anyway, go on. But yeah, so there, there, there's... It's like there's no investment there's in the civic side. There's opportunity there, but it's not been tapped into yeah. properly yet. We're starting to leave yet. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of articulating why um, I never, I didn't think there would be capacity for something like this to ever happen, but um, clearly there have been people who have offered up their hands and it's been awesome to see people like Nick and Aaron. I have a theory. I mean, it's, it's a little out there, but um, I mean, Ryan's right. There's 150,000 people here. Why in, in Savannah is this, well, 300 in the metro area, but the city oh, itself, there's yeah. 150,000 people here. So how can uh, a small city like that sustain an organization like this? And uh, Savannah really has a culture of civic activity and people yes. who participate. And the reason why, as I think, is the foundation in the principles of the city itself when it was founded in 1733. And there's, uh, if you come to Savannah, there's an equal amount of public space to private space. And there's an enormous public domain. We have 22 squares, we have parks, trees, I mean, and it's, it is for everyone. So I think it's almost, you're born into it when you spend time here and when this belongs to everyone, you care more. Um, and that's extended itself in many different ways, uh, this organization and many others. And I would love to see if there's some kind of way to measure the civic quotient uh, in a place, this amount of civic activity, because there's yeah. so many yeah. groups and nonprofit organizations here that are participating in the city. It is remarkable. That's, uh, that's really interesting. I I'm definitely hearing a couple of themes there in what you folks are saying. One of them being that, that, that civic engagement piece that, that you just mentioned there as well as the kind of access to uh, policymakers. And in a similar vein, a theme kind of emerged again from that post that gave me the sense that perhaps the organization wouldn't buy into the kind of civic apathy trend that's talked about a lot, perhaps at the national level, maybe not so much at the local level. And I believe you used the example of uh, two different public forums going on, one of them being your own and the other being for a local school district as a way to kind of compare and contrast that uh, could we talk a bit about, uh, I guess, that, that particular comparison and a bit about how your group kind of acts as a conduit uh, for that type of civic engagement? So first of all, I want to say that was no denigration whatsoever to the school board. It was actually the, the two events were held in the same evening. Um, if I had known there was going to be a forum about the school board superintendent being picked that evening, I would be scheduled a heartbeat because that's a very important issue. I didn't even know there was going to until the following day when I saw the newspaper. And there was an article about how no one came to the forum. So 
just thinking back about that, I was thinking, trying to think, well, why do people show up for this event about the Pacific Engage, but not show up to something that's arguably more like more directly impactful to their immediate their lives, having a superintendent of schools? But why do they shift to one and not the other? We had the internal discussions about why that might be. Maybe it's that people don't trust the government as much. And there is a there is a a lot of civic distrust and distrust about because of past leadership and because of the gap in understanding. Well, I think you can feel it when when your own local government wants you to come out versus yeah. when they're holding uh, a meeting just for you know because they're compelled to or they have to. So that that goes uh, a lot into. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, that, that that's a really interesting take you you have there. Uh, I guess what would you say are kind of some of those indicators that would let you know that they want you to be there versus we just are kind of doing this because we have to. I think your general demeanor in these meetings sometimes. <laughs> like, when you know, it's announced, where it's announced, how it's announced, like. Yeah, but like too, it's really about value, right? If you, if you go and commit your time as a resident to a council meeting, whatever meeting, you don't expect to have some outcome yeah. to see the value of your time. What, and, and that could even just be them listening and acknowledging, thank you so-and-so for whatever you said. And I don't think that is the sort of, that's, that's not the operating procedure of, of what those meetings are. I think in, in an open Savannah forum, even if we have conflicting points of view, they're still heard and people still react to them. And I think people have a different sense, a different sort of value takeaway from that. And I, and I think it really, I don't know, my experience is that it's, it's that type of interaction that, that really defines it too. It's like uh, pornography, you know, when you see it, um, you know, that's the, uh, that's how you find it. You, you know it when they don't want you to participate. Uh, they'll, they'll place it in a location that's inaccessible or it's only accessible by car. They'll hold it during the daytime, uh, during work days. Uh, they'll only publicize it in the back of the newspaper and that little tiny font. I don't even know how they get it that small, uh, only when they have to. And I know, you know, right now we're dealing with that, um, or they'll hold them in quick succession. Like uh, there's a tax proposal uh, right now that's being held, and they're compelled by the state of Georgia, Georgia to hold three public meetings. Well, they're holding one this Thursday. They're holding them back to back right after each other. So technically it's three, but wow. is it really? Um, yeah. So I hope that. Well, and it, it, it goes to this bigger, larger question. We need to change the way we think about what public feedback is in 2018, because it doesn't doesn't have to involve people physically showing up to the location, and that's good. That's always a beneficial thing to do, but people can't necessarily take off if they have two jobs and kids to take care of. Making it a physical requirement to be there naturally excludes some people. You know, it's funny. I thought you were going to go in a direction of like how people receive feedback, like and I. And this is sort of very hyper-local. Uh, it's like, how about we talk about how, the, how our government council never receives feedback from the public. And it, you know, sometimes it's just generally, I just don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I thought you were going to go with a year one. And they'll say that too. Yeah. 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 Because it is. I mean, I mean you have some, I think it's, it's an orientation to like receiving feedback, negative or positive. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? How do you handle that? Well, how do you, how do you couch that feedback to insulting them personally? I don't like what you said, though, like as far as technology, like, there's, we can, we can see opportunity for equity in its application. In, in, a, in a similar vein to the, to the theme you folks are on, I, I'm hearing a bit about inclusivity in, in kind of in what we're talking about here. Uh, I noticed that there is a, uh, 
a sort of headline that, that you describe. Uh, again, back to that, that post I keep harking back to, and that, that the headline is, inclusivity will always trump experience. W- what does that mean to each of you? Yeah, so the, the line you mentioned about inclusivity will trump experience, when I wrote that, I had a specific quotation in mind um, from Jane Jacobs' uh, famous work, The uh, Death and Life of American Cities. And the quotation was, there is no greater expertise than locality knowledge. And when I read that, it just like, it very much hit home. And, and I think it's very much something that comes to play in Savannah a lot. But when we talk about data and the importance of data, some of the most important data that's out there is the data that's in the minds and in, in the, the memories of residents who live in specific neighborhoods. Data about, you know, the elderly person who lives down the street, data about the neighbors who might have a dog that's unruly, uh, data about the dangerous parts of what's mm-hmm. the best place to go to the park. That sort of information is not something that you can easily put into an open data form. So to me, I think that having all those, those diverse voices and having that, inclusive, that inclusivity and having that locality knowledge not just technology knowledge, but locality knowledge. You can call it local knowledge. If you want to take the locality part out, just call it local knowledge. But having that local knowledge is invaluable. I I don't think any organization that uh, calls itself a civic organization can function truly without it. I'm hearing applause. Uh, It it seems your answer is pretty well liked there, Carl. Inclusivity trumps Experience, yes. As like a, you can, you can, you can teach. You think it's like a you cannot teach way of articulating like the, the premise of human-centered design in civic space. I mean, also like this whole notion of like designing with and not for. Like, you can have all the experience you want in the world and try to design things for people, but yeah. is it, it going to hit home? Is it going to solve a problem? You know, the inclusivity sort of translating to the locality knowledge, like that's really what's going to drive or inform anyone wanting to sort of volunteer and create something what the needs are yeah. um, and how they exist and like what form they take. Like, you can be an excellent programmer or designer, but if you don't have empathy and understanding and try to reach out to... But to some degree, if you don't have the subject matter expert, like the person in the space that... Yeah, or, or the people, they would say the people in the space to, yeah. to talk about the problem and how it affects them in various ways. Like how are you, what kind of solution can you really design? Or what can you really make for them? And maybe it's not, and I, I think I'm guilty to say, what can I make for them, but like, you know, uh, what, what, what can you make with them? So like what's and practicing co-creation with, with that group, like, and you get into change management or, or sort of introduction of anything new. You know, if I make it for you or you know, it's, it's hard for to sure. adopt. What it means to me, um, I think about that and um, I think about all the times that I've thought myself personally that someone else is doing it. So what's the point if I get involved or, um, Wow, they're you know they put forth this amazing product, or they're this great leader in the community, or they gave a great speech. How can I ever top that? Uh, but somebody has to be the next big thing. Somebody has to be the next best thing. And some of the biggest barriers we put up, we, we do it to ourselves. You know, of, of what's the point? What contribution can I make? And please, for anybody that's listening out there, you know, come off the bench, and you have something that you can contribute. Uh, and be valuable in the community, even in just tiny little ways, you'd be so surprised at what you can do. 
we have stickers that say that the, the next big thing will be a whole lot of small things. And um, Coke America is actually adopting that as one of their, their marketing campaigns um, this fall. So um, it's kind of cool. A little heads up. <laughs> I'm getting the sense both in the reading I did about your organization, as well as hearing you all talk about that subject, that there's a pretty deep acknowledgement that a lot of civic tech is ultimately about community building. Uh, can we delve into that uh, a little bit and maybe contrast it to the idea of creating things as opposed to creating community? Well, I think that's something that really I, more, more stems from our experience in, in trying to address what we need to here in Savannah. Mm -hmm. I think knowing, knowing, looking at our group and what we have involved and where we started with our skill sets, and maybe the fact that we're not experiencing some of the problems or the inequalities that we want to address. I think that's where, at least yeah. for me, I'll speak for me then, like where, where that, that sort of notion, mm -hmm. less, less than sort of seeing civic, the civic tech community as not being community focused. I think, right. I think intention is there. You know, it, it, it does come down a little bit to like, what's your orientation and approach to these problems? Is it human centered? Is it user centered? You know, and those produce very different things. Uh, as they're very, they're fair, they're very different approaches, I think, to design and finding solutions, which, you know, one produces product and one produces solutions that so are co-created with a long-term systemic or sustainable, yeah. if you will, yeah. solutions, um, which I think in a social space, that's really what you're looking for, because it's never, it, you know, problems aren't, aren't prescribed or cut and dry. You know, there's not just one condition or one symptom that creates something that's it's, it's this thing leads to this for me, which then leads to that for me, and be it economic justice, law, whatever. Like, there's a lot of things connected, so we always have to think systemically. One of my memes that I always repeat and everybody hates is um, we don't hate anything, you probably it's process, not product. Yeah, and it, I've been asked actually at a lot of um, events, you know, so, so what projects are you guys working on? What apps are you guys working on? <clears throat> While there are answers to that, um. I kind of want to just say community. That's our killer app. I mean, this is a super hard thing to achieve. I mean, you think about, yeah. I mean, for me, it's like not being a that. community organizer, like, you know, I am fairly used to working in groups and talking to people and facilitating, but like really sort of building community and getting into deeper problems, things that I don't experience, places that I'm uncomfortable. Like that's, it's a difficult space to be in. And that's right, you gotta put, constantly push yourself. The objective is to always put service above self. Yeah. And I think back to uh, when I was a kid and I took some piano lessons and I hated practicing like the hard part. I would only do the good part over and over and over again. But that doesn't do anything for anyone, mm -hmm. uh, especially yeah. not for, for anybody listening. Yeah. Uh, that would've been pretty painful. But the objective is we can get caught in a rut of self-service or even ideation just the constant rumination, the talking about the things that we're going to do, or, um, but it's getting out there and getting your hands dirty and maintaining that objective of doing something better each day and being better than the previous one. And I think that I love the fact that you mentioned service, like yeah. service orientation. I mean, of course, so many levels, like just civic service or service design, like, you know, that orientation, you know, you're, you're really talking about giving and delivering uh, and considering that value. And related to that, I get the sense that in order to uh, kind of operate that way, that a lot of thought would need to be given both in how one communicates as far as the mediums, as well as what messaging one uses when talking about 
the community, the work, and kind of that outreach to try to reach those things. Uh, could we talk a bit about how uh, Open Savannah kind of takes that consideration and works with different communication mediums and maybe how it then uh, communicates through them? I think you've touched on our great debate overall. <laughs> do we use GitHub? Do we it's use our this? biggest we pain point, this? yeah. <laughs> it's, it's our biggest strength and our, also our biggest pain point because I think that we have done a really good job at engaging diverse cross-section. At the same time, when you do that, you've got five different audience levels that you're mm -hmm. catering to. And you can't just say, oh, well, let's all use Slack to communicate because mm -hmm. not everyone has nine to five jobs for them Slack. Mm -hmm. in their community or, yeah or get the sort of or, use of slack at that or, or yeah and like yeah so like we had we had to be very use as many, many platforms as we have to use as many mediums as we have to and um that can be taxing it can be very taxing trust me but and we have to use different language too um but uh it is a constant point of conversation it, like, it's how are we talking a debate that we never really finish yeah well i it's we not something. Do, do you finish? Like, I, you know, like so we're we're we even, can only do our best. We're yeah. even talking about like how are we expanding out and getting like touching base with other neighborhoods that, that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Um. And you know, we're gonna have to consider what what's our orientation and approach to that. Mm -hmm. I, I think one thing I'm hearing there is again back to that theme of trying to get a little bit better each day. Uh, yep. Am I hearing you guys properly there? Yeah, I think it is. It's the constant mm -hmm. process of of iteration through what we're doing. We've learned from one thing, I think from one meeting or one event to the next. And I would be curious as, as a follow-up uh, still about communication there. Uh, how have you navigated these different mediums so far in relation to someone wanting to be involved in say like uh, leadership decisions and having a voice in how things happen at the organization? Have you run into any hiccups and uh, how, how have you tried to address those? We definitely run into hiccups, and, I, and that, I, I'll take full full blame for them. But um, uh, yeah, because we've assumed that um, just because uh, uh, we're going to have a, a meeting of the leadership team, and just we assume, or I've assumed that just because I posted on Slack that everyone's going to find out about it. Well, no, that's not actually the case. I, I need to be intentional. I need to send out a calendar invite multiple days in advance. And I follow people actually sometimes even via text that, yeah, it, it takes intentionality. It takes um, thinking through the way different people, the, the level that they are on and they communicate and who they are. And that's, for instance, it is for everyone. It's a tough task and it can be draining. It, can, it, often, it often can be, um, it's a, at times it can be disheartening, but uh, Ultimately, it's rewarding. I think um, when you stick to it, but you gotta stick to it, and you gotta be committed, and you gotta like not lose um, morale. The watershed moment for me here in Savannah. I serve as the president of my neighborhood association here. Each year, we have to do an annual registration, and it's a paper form. It is not online. Uh, and this year, I received it. Uh, in the form of an inter-office memo, a manila folder that one of the city employees walked to my house and dropped it off for me. Um, and I was just astounded that it was still like, here is this, and the way that it happened was the city employee said, oh, I, I know where Nick lives, I'll, I'll just go and drop this off at his house. And it wasn't sent through the mail, and they just showed up at my doorstep, and I was just, I was amazed that this is still the way that some people communicate. Not that there's anything wrong with that, 
but so many things that I just hadn't accounted for the way that other people communicate. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you have to pick one. Sometimes you're going to have to blast it out there to every different medium possible um, if you want to reach everyone. Know your audience. You have to know your audience. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I love it. Oh, I love that story. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I mean that, that that does get at the heart of it. I think even like Savannah in a large ways, like it is relationship. People do know each other. Like, we always talk about like how Savannah feels is like like a small like a small town almost like and how much we know like who well, we know in our, our sort of intersections. Certain people know each other. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people true, but like still like there's a lot of intersections oh, yeah. like in the sort of social fabric of Savannah. Um, and it's, it's, and it's interesting because it, it is like, there is, it's all about coming together and talking, um, but not like really identifying like methods of efficient communication that are appropriate to not only the message, but the audience that was receiving them and like considering, like, well, how much do I really need to spend? Do I need, how much effort is being expended here? So out of curiosity, well, it, uh, I guess what, what is your kind of list of different communication mediums right now that you're using? Uh, should I Slack. mention specific technologies? Um, I, I guess, yeah. So that's utilized some. Um, uh, email is always a good one to go back to. Um, we have re we recently started like a Facebook group because it actually does reach people. But really, yeah, the meetup. But I mean, again, it's really just about trying to hit as many as you can. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's about anyone is going to be like the that's pretty much our communications for staff, if you will, like social media. Well, that and being clear with our messaging and intention yeah. with it. Um, so when we do, um, you know, send out a message that we you know, use the right language and that we have graphics with it. We've also been at a local events, like so we, we table at things too. So that's something that's a nice thing to do where we kind of tap into more of the, the, the handshaking and talking to people directly about what we're doing. And it's a real struggle too, because we're at a point in, um, in the world's history really where uh, we don't just have that one predominant medium to communicate, mm -hmm. you know, whereas years ago it would have been just the telephone before that it would have been mail or calling card. Now there's hundreds yeah. or dozens of, of people, you know, ways people communicate. So it's finding a way to, reach them all as efficiently as possible. And if, if they're not on any of them, either teaching them about it, uh, and I have to learn that sometimes, or sometimes I just wish, you know, there's a, the show The Office, there's a character, Ryan Howard, and that's an application <laughs> called Wolf. Wolf. I have that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wolf. <laughs> it does it all. Show you. It does it all. Yeah. Even a fax. So, <laughs> <all> right. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think even sometimes our communication stack is is even changing like we're, as we bring in new audiences. Yeah, it, it's going to naturally change as we have new people come in. No, our audiences are pretty well defined. Like, I think Slack and Meetup really sort of captures that. That, that captures most of it. And then mail, mail, I think emails for more less committed people who want to see. Yeah, well, they just want to see what's going on. Because there's like 400 of them. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. Um, but like, like really, sort of those, those are two sort of spaces that blanket like tech and design in, in a large way. Thank you. Um, Oh no, it does. I'm, 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 just, yeah. I'm just seeing who's there. Yeah, um, so then we have yeah those other other methods, emails. I think try, that reach out beyond that. And going up and showing up places. <laughs> yeah. I I really appreciate your uh, openness uh, with that answer. 
Uh, I can definitely appreciate it in part because uh, I, I myself am someone that's trying to take kind of a small brigade and grow it. Over the, and this has kind of been my work for the past few months. As I know, there are probably many others out in the audience that are trying to do similar work. And it's nice to be able to sit and kind of listen to you uh, talk about your experiences with these sorts of problems and to perhaps learn from them ourselves as well, in particular kind of the process and the thought that's uh, clearly behind the choices that uh, you're making day to day with this. In, in some of the, again, the reading I had done about your organization, something uh, stuck out to me in that there was a few questions that uh, it was mentioned that you would pose to any civic technologist. And one of those was, how might we spark civic interest in the work we do among people living in the margins? What, what observations have each of you made so far that maybe starts to point you towards an inkling or direction of an answer to that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Asking the deep questions on civic tech chat. Uh, <laughs> so, so we, we were talking about reaching the, the margins of society, people who, who yeah, opted out or, or um, feel most disenfranchised. Well, I mean, this, this sounds really tired, but it's meet them where they are. Um, you're not going to get them to come out to an unfamiliar place or a place that's far away or to meet strange people. Um, so it's, it's trying to trying to ease people into it slowly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are a couple of old standbys that will always, you know, get people to come out and that's uh, food. Um, that? that is, that is huge. We, we meet in a sort of centrally located part of town that's not like fluent or has negative connotations either. Right, no, it's, it's fairly in the middle. I think they were offering genuine opportunity. The fact that mm -hmm. when you come, that something can happen in a lot of cases does. So that was one of the big things that I wanted to incorporate from the very beginning is the, this idea of participation and that participation being a form of engagement mm -hmm. um, and vis-a-vis -vis empowerment. Um, so, like, so the first few events we even had, we basically just set it up with a Google spreadsheet and everyone contributed. If they could use the spreadsheet, they could contribute to the production of this app. And they felt a sense of purpose and like ownership of it. Mm -hmm. Even though they didn't actually build most of the technology side, they contributed to it. And um, so I think that's really important to keep in mind as we do civic technology projects. That's a great example, actually. I think the way everybody that walked away from those projects were or significantly engaged in its production, its output as well. Yeah. And I think too, it's a resiliency of the organization. You're not gonna have a huge turnout or an outpouring of support the first time off the bat, uh, but you have to keep trying because people who are disenchanted, uh, really you're, you're gonna have to prove it to them that you're different. Mm. And that's gonna take time and energy and effort and commitment. Yeah. And this is, this is actually a perspective I think we're taking we are taking with our outreach to neighborhoods that we haven't sort of been in yet or that we've even talked to is that, you know, we need to offer opportunity to them first, mm -hmm. like not come with an ask, but say essentially, here we are, we want to, you know, we're here. Here's an opportunity, we want to do something. Hmm. One thing that definitely sticks out there uh, is that idea of contribution. Uh, I really liked that that was brought up. I know that whether it's professional work or things you do in your free time, one of the things that can really drive satisfaction in what you do is being able to kind of see, touch, hear, and feel that contribution and kind of see value in it. 
Uh, how is that, I guess, acknowledgement that I'm hearing from you folks kind of informed what you do as people come, say, for the first time uh, to one of your activities? And uh, it, how does that end up working from your lessons learned? I think that's something that we're actually, you know, learning as we still go. Um, we um, actually just recently had um, decided sort of to better structure our onboarding process for, for new people who come because we realized that we were having new people come every single time we had a meetup, but um, we weren't we weren't necessarily coming back because we weren't really explaining what what we did, who we were, why we did it, and why it was important. I think that's something that we should explain every time, even if it gets repetitive. Like, make, make it short, but um, we need to you know, hammer that home every time for people who are new. Because if they're coming in afresh, they could be lost. So we need to be very clear and intentional about the onboarding process. And also just do stuff to like make it more social, um, and not just about building, not just about uh, work. Yeah, for anybody that's listening and, and just starting out with this, you know, start practicing right now of uh, who you are and what you're doing and why do you want to do it. Uh, we ask everybody in the United States, I mean, part of our culture, like, what do you do? Um, and you probably got that answer down to about 60 seconds flat. Um, so do the same thing for this organization. What do you do, who you are, who's a part of it, and what your mission is. And as you go along, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be rusty go of it when you start out, but you'll get better and better over time and keep at it. I, ju I just say, uh, go out there and, and get started with it. You know, there's somebody's listening right now that's got it down on paper and they're thinking about testing it out. They don't know exactly how. Um, just go out there, organize the meeting, yeah. and put out there and see who else is going to show up. You know, how many bands out there were formed by an old ad in the back of a newspaper somewhere? Mm -hmm. I think like Kiss was formed like that, you know. Awesome. Like, awesome. Like, I don't even know. Like, please, you know, it's just people getting together that share. You never know until you put it out there. Yeah. You know, so that's the greatest barrier. It's just putting it on. Be willing to put yourself out there to say, you know, I'm I'm interested in this. Yes, I, I I'm interested in this. I want to find out other people who are also interested in this and get together and start working together. And that's exactly Carl's experience. Mm -hmm. I didn't think anybody would be interested in it. I just kind of like did it because I was bored. Yeah. But that's good. I mean, that's a really good point. Because I mean, even, even like the overall sort of thread of the thing what we've been talking about is like what we've tried and how we're sort of constantly iterating. That that's what you're going to do, even if you don't don't know what what to expect or what to do. Start it. Start talking to people because that's mm -hmm. that, I think that's where. Believe in your own agency and your own your own, your own ability to inspire collectivity. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Your own agency. I have to say, I'm also I'm I'm greatly entertained by that statement. Uh, Carl said I. I started this because I was bored. Uh, that, that, that's pretty good. In fact, I can relate to that a little bit. Um, things Ooh. here in Uptown were, were started because I was bored and hopped on the meetup as well. So I, I think we have a little bit of a kindred spirit between our organizations and, and boredom being sure. the bottom of that sure. pyramid. <laughs> it wasn't like I just had this like flash moment where I was just instantly you know, brave. So I'm like, oh, let's do this. Let's let's have this grand thing. That's no, like how capacity it, comes to it, action. It, it, I I've been to a couple of meetings, yeah. But, well, I mean, yeah. But so I, I was in St. Louis before I moved to Savannah, and um, I had been to a couple of um. They they hadn't quite formed their brigade yet. They were still um. They were called uh, uh, Open Data St. Louis, I believe. Um, now they've actually got Open STL going on there. 
But um, I've been to a couple of meetings of that, and I was interested. I couldn't really get that involved because my work at the time um, was apparently a conflict of interest, my boss said. So, um, yeah. You asked your boss. Well, I didn't ask my boss, but you mentioned I worked in journal, I worked in news. Mm -hmm. So, data, there's a yeah. lot there. Yeah. Uh, I, I could see that could be a little bit of a complicated relationship. Yes, because in, in journalism, you're acting in an adversarial relationship toward public servants almost sometimes by nature due to the job. And in civic tech, you are doing it from a more collaborative approach. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now, as we uh, kind of draw to a close here, uh, one of the things that we like to do on Civic Tech Chat is to give our guests an opportunity to leave the audience with what they would like to leave them as far as parting thoughts go or concluding thoughts. So could we go around the table uh, one last time and kind of go through what you'd like to leave our audience with? Well, I'll throw, throw this out there. Uh, eventually, if you're listening to this now, you're, you're interested uh, in it. And eventually, at some point in your life, you're going to get tired of waiting for things to happen and mm -hmm. waiting for things to get better in your life. Um, but, you know, this is, falls into the mantra, but uh, no one else is coming. There's no one else is going to swoop in and, and be the white knight and save the day and, and do all of the work and innovate their local government and get them to fix the sidewalks or paint the crosswalks or whatever it may be, the small things and the big things. Um, so if you're listening right now, just go out there and, and do it. Go out there and start it, please, because we need you. And, uh, you know, leverage your experience as a as your initial point of inquiry for solving these problems, but never forget the people that are actually experiencing them. Because um, those, those are gonna be, that's where your insights are, is with the, where the problems lie. And the big thing about small things is that they add up. So never think that your actions are too unimportant or too minuscule or your agency too small to have an impact. Because I certainly didn't think that I would really have any influence, but um, if you stick with things on that, change will happen. These are a collection of some fantastic parting thoughts, and I want to thank each of you for, for coming on the program and, and taking the time out of your day to talk to us. I know that I myself personally gained a lot uh, hearing your experiences and how you've operated as, or, as an organization, as well as how you've kind of forged this philosophy based on those lessons learned, and I have no doubt that there's going to be a lot of folks out there in the audience that will have a similar experience. So again, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank Thanks, you. Ryan. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at Civic Tech Chat. Visit us on the web at civictech.chat or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.